Welcome to Women Who Rock, a podcast promoting female musicians and artists. Today, I'm joined by Renee Delamotte of Harmony Driven Sydney two-piece Salary Men. Renee, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Your uh, project is called Salary Men, and I don't often comment on the name of bands and projects, but I really like that. And I actually thought I'd tell you what my immediate thought was when I saw Salary Men. For some reason, my brain went to Tax Man, which is like the first track of the Beatles album, The Folder. <laughs> yeah. Which is an amazing George Harrison song. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure why I had that association, but what was the, um, I guess, reason behind the name Salary Men? So we love Japan. We've been there quite a lot, spent a lot of time there. I've got some really good friends there. And one of the immediate culture shocks that happens when you're over there, especially as an Australian who a lot of us are used to, you know, the eight-hour working day, is going over there and seeing people who are typically men as well, people who are absolutely giving their everything, blood, sweat and tears, to their job you'll be out at 5am after a night out and they're next to you closing a business deal in the same ramen bar as you that they're out entertaining clients and salary men salary men as a phenomenon you know emerged in Japan to describe this this worker who stays loyal to their boss for often decades they stay with the same company and work is life really so we liked a we liked the name b it wasn't taken on spotify um (laughs) and c like we all know what it's like to try and work a full-time job or you know and come home and try and be creative and it's really hard it's really hard to reconcile creativity with working full-time and and being career driven It, it it's if if music isn't your immediate career, it's very hard. And sal- for salarymen in Japan, that is impossible. Work is life, and I j- we just thought it was a really interesting notion that, to some extent, all musicians deal with. It's not unless you get big quickly and you work with the right people. It's often quite an expensive affair early early on, and often, yeah, it, it's really hard. We all have to get our income somewhere else and it doesn't always leave as much time as you would like for being creative so that's kind of the gist behind the name and yeah as I said really hard to find stuff on Spotify that isn't taken sure well I think you've nailed it (laughs) and I mean that was very different to my George Harrison angle but (laughs) no that's cool I um yeah I've never been to Japan so is it just kind of like I guess it was a, you mentioned it was like a culture shock to see mm. that because I mean maybe that happens in Australia but it's a very very small kind of subsection of society that's working that hard right it's not as visible either it's a it's a cultural thing that in Japan right like after work 
when is it's normally your time to relax no in japan it's not you take the clients out you entertain them you drink till you're pissed um all night with with the clients that doesn't happen as much here but it is really an expectation with a lot of jobs over there and we adore japan absolutely love it and it's just a really interesting experience to have as a foreigner you can go over there and you'll be sitting next to a bunch of like businessmen you're both as plastered as each other but one of them is one of them's on the job and one of you is just having fun and it's really it's crazy it's really interesting over there so that's kind of yeah it's yeah I mean you're both there doing the same thing but for very different reasons yeah exactly but you know I think there's like a deep darkness absolutely yeah I um I went to a work conference in Shanghai where there were a lot of uh, sort of big people from industry as mm. well and it was a similar kind of thing where everyone was drinking heavily and I was having a great time mm. for my first like Chinese experience. Mm. But they're working. Like the mm. people, they're getting more and more drunk and but they're still kind of grinding away. And, yeah. You know, they're strategically trying to form relationships mm-hmm. and, uh, it sucks. It's yeah, hard. There's a big element of pressure mm. there um, and there is just in general a lot of pressure in um, in Japanese workplaces. Not that there aren't in some places in Australia but thankfully something that I think is so good about the country that we live in is generally compared to some, some other countries, even America, we have better working standards in terms of what constitutes a reasonable amount of hours per day for a full-time job um even my colleagues from overseas have gone wow like you guys have it good here and I think you know that's possibly eroding even slightly with globalization and and stuff but I'm that's something that I'm pretty glad about that a lot at least a lot of us here do know when to stop (laughs) Mm. Well, speaking of working hard, though, I should congratulate you on your EP. Thank you. Scene Change, because I know that I started the podcast in 2000 and, uh, International Women's Day 2018, mm. and I've kind of seen some bands that, I mean, different people have reacted to um, the pandemic in different ways. Some mm. bands have kind of shut down, mm. but you guys have been rocking. We're trying. Um, yeah, I mean, you started in 2019, but you kind of been recording your EP, putting out loads of singles, mm. and I mean, you had loads of airplay as well, playing lots of support slots. So tell us a bit about the, you know, the roller coaster of starting, starting a band. I think probably like one month before yeah. COVID actually started in China. Yeah, I know it. Like worst timing ever award. Um, yeah, <laughs> but oh, like. No one could have, you know, no one could have predicted that. So you just have to roll with the punches. I mean, it's been, you are correct in that a lot of bands did shut down. I don't blame them for doing that. But for us, we hadn't been going for long enough. We were like, we cannot afford to not do things last year and and obviously this year now with what's happened as well. But we, we just took the mentality in 2020 of, well, we can't really afford to slow down, so we're going to make the best of it. And that was for us 
trying to, you know, support some really good artists like Hayley Mary and Planet and, you know, a few of these other bigger acts. Did you put a Lulu race as well? Yeah, Lulu race. That was in January this year. Um, And it was, we just reached out and we were like, hey, like, you know, you need to support. We were very on top of who was playing in town because there weren't nearly as many gigs as there would have been if, you know, all the artists from Melbourne and, and Brizzy and and other other states were coming into town. So there were only really the people from here and we knew exactly what gigs were on and we tried to get on every single one that we possibly can. And in mm. the end we did get on a few. We got on a few good ones. We actually supported, I don't know if you remember, um, just before Christmas when everyone was freaking out because of that Northern Beaches outbreak that happened, we actually, the night we played with Planet at the Factory Theatre, we were pretty much the only gig in Sydney that still went ahead that night. It felt like the apocalypse and we played the best show ever because we were just expecting the call at any minute while we're in the green room. No, it's not. You know, it's not going ahead. So we, we got up there and the Factory Theatre upstairs is quite a big room yeah, it's huge. as well. So that was like yeah. epic. We didn't think it was going to happen and that's an example of just, you know, we could have slowed down and and not not bothered but we managed to get ourselves on on some good supports and that was definitely a highlight playing playing that stage. It was the first time that I didn't, you know, turn around and whack Tom with the head of my bass um because we were in like we actually had room to move you know yeah it's probably the biggest stage (laughs) yeah so that was really good I mean there's been little highlights throughout it and then we knew that we just had to push on and get our EP out and in the end we were super lucky to have had um a full capacity show for our EP launch in June at at downstairs in the factory theatre so it's a bit of a a smaller room like that didn't last for long and now we've got no gigs so I feel grateful that we were able to get that and that was quite because that was just after you went on Cameron's show that was like yeah, early June right it was it was the, yeah. the night before we spoke with Cam on on Ben next door and then mm. next day um at the factory theater and only a week before restrictions had been completely abandoned so that was one of the first and only times this year that We've played a pretty much unrestricted standing gig. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a very interesting time for the genesis of the band. I mean, I should say, I mean, well done. You've been basically taking the Gary V mentality <laughs> of hustle and or grind. Yes. Um, and I guess I should also clarify that, yeah, I wasn't uh, kind of being critical of other, other bands as well. I mean, everyone has such a different yeah. situation that mm. they're dealing with. So, um, yeah, people just deal with uh, things in different ways, but yep. you've really taken the bull by the horns. Yeah. I think, you know, speaking of all this music, we should listen to one of your tracks. Sounds good. Um, So, yeah, the EP came out a couple months ago. We're going to take the uh, most recent single from that. Um, This track is called Fine.
track that we just heard from Salaryman was Fine, uh, the most recent single, which was also from their debut EP. Um, so, Renee, this is kind of a two-piece in terms of uh, the songwriting process, but you kind of play with the band as well. And in that band, you play bass. Mm-hmm. And I understand that. So you basically started playing bass for this this project, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, tell us about uh, learning on the job of learning how to play the bass guitar in Salaryman. Yeah, so it was um, it was hard. Like, to be, if I'm being honest, at the start, I was like, oh, I don't know how how great I'm going to be. Not because I was just learning bass, because I knew my role was going to be bass and singing. And that is something I hadn't tried before. It's one thing to learn an instrument and get proficient at it and be able to play well on stage. But I was more concerned at the fact that I had to sing well on stage as well because I'm a singer. That's what I, that's what I grew up doing. Mm. And I was kind of terrified that I would be, you know, spreading myself too thin and not being able to do either really well, if you know what I mean. Mm. Um, and I didn't, I didn't want to play, I didn't plan on playing bass initially and Tom and I were just sitting around discussing, you know, who's going to be in the band, which friends, are, you know, are going to play live with us and we, you know, we, Tom was like, oh, like what are we going to do about a bassist? And I was like, oh, I don't know, like, do we know anyone? And he was like, well, why don't you just do it? And I was like, um, but, you know, like I'm going to be singing as well. He's like, yeah, just like, you know, play play both. Do, do both at once. And Throw it in the deep end. Yeah, and I was like, uh, okay, fine. And my mum and dad bought me a bass for my birthday that year, so I was well and truly thrown in the deep end then if if, if uh, your parents splash out for a, a nice new base for you you definitely have to do it justice and and you know end up on the stage by the end of end of the year so that's exactly what I did I learned it in six months and it was hard but nowhere near as hard as I thought and persistence and p- practice really pays off like I wouldn't you know, I would be freaking out one week, and then and then two weeks later, I was like, "Oh, I can actually, I can actually do this." And it should be a testament, like it, it should be proof to anybody if you want to just pick something up, especially a time like now, COVID, where sometimes we're bored, sitting around thinking, "What can we do?" You can pick up anything you want and be on a stage by the end of the year owning it. So that's. Uh, something, a message for anybody who might be listening and thinking, how the hell did she do that? Like, I don't know either. Um, and, yeah, it's it's it was, wasn't as hard as I thought. And it sounds super cliche, but seriously, put your mind to it, to, you know, put your mind to anything and just make sure you give it enough hours. Like I'm talking, you know, an hour a day or, or something like that. You mm. will really, really see progress in anything that you do repetitively like that so how did you learn in like 2019 are you like doing youtube tutorials or you're just jamming with friends tom plays a few different instruments he's mostly a drummer but he's you know he got a guitar 
ages ago from from his parents and, and he's been just tacking away at that for a long time and he he went to TAFE and learnt music theory so he pretty much taught me how to play but you know bass is really cool in the sense that it's very intuitive like you know Paul McCartney like some of my favorite bassists like I was already recognizing the my favorite bass lines in, in songs like that and it provided you have a sense of rhythm and and you have grown to love different kind of bass lines especially you know like Marvin Gaye and like some some of those some of those guys where the bass is such a prominent feature in the groove of those songs it's so fun like it, it actually comes naturally like you just have to play the root note and then it's up to you what you do you, you as long as you play the root note and the right scale you can't really go wrong and that's what I think is so good about bass you know most of the time you're you're playing one note like at once instead of chords which it's a for me it was a lot easier to get the hang of straight mm. away and it, it just had I felt really good doing it like I feel like really the groove is really there I really enjoy rhythm in instruments um and and yeah like it wasn't it wasn't as hard as I thought because I do think bass is an instrument where just you know simplicity can be amazing it's not you don't have to have this you know be walking all up and down their neck for something to sound amazing you just have to do your job and be on the beat every time lock in with the drummer and you know I got the hang of that relatively quickly singing on top of it added you know another layer of complexity but yeah I think doesn't need to be fancy to be awesome and that's the I would say that's like yeah the biggest thing about bass like if you've if you've got groove doesn't matter if you're playing you know 16 notes or or four notes in in a bar so yeah I remember being in a blues jam where talking to the bass player who was insisting to me that the reason that people were dancing is because of the bass. Mm. That's kind of like the groove underpinning everything. And people, the crowd probably doesn't always realise it when it's there, but you take it away and it's dead mm. and there's no, you know, so it's, it's, it's the type of thing where people don't know why they like the way something sounds because it's not as prominent as, you know, a guitar solo or, or something like that, but you take it away and it's just this empty mess really with, with no groove. So I, I do love that aspect of it. It's, it's, slightly, it's slightly more in, in the background, but if you take it away, it's the song falls apart. So I, I just love that. The thing is there's a difference between, so you learnt like six months to be able to play on stage and sing at the same mm. time. But it's a kind of different world being um, on stage at a bar mm. and being uh, in a recording studio with headphones on, yeah. playing to a click. Yeah, it's so it's, you did um, that pretty quickly as well, I right? Because you were releasing singles in 2020. So yeah. how was the transition from going from being a proficient at the instrument to mm. being able to record a song professionally? It, yeah. Um, well, we're quite lucky that we've pretty much got a studio at home. We've collected a lot of gear and we've we've 
we actually haven't recorded anything in a proper studio. So everything you hear on the EP is is DIY. Um, we've got like soundproofing, so we've definitely, you know, made a decent um, attempt at, at a home studio. And what it's done is given us as many attempts as we want, but you, you feel ultimately you feel more comfortable in your own space mm. than somewhere where you've paid to be. The clock is ticking. You've only got the engineer for, you know, X amount of hours that you paid for. At, at home, we've got the studio and we are the engineers, you know, um, doing this. So I think that's that's been really helpful. I think it would have been a little bit more daunting if everything was – I don't actually think it – especially my vocals and, and things like that, I it, I don't know that they would have been as good in in a studio environment because Because of the time pressure. Yeah, and I wasn't I wasn't used to everything yet. Like it, it's you know, again, sometimes bands just play for ages before they even record anything. Like it's a they they play live, you know, before they even go in and lay down their tracks properly and, and release them so it was it's awesome being able to do stuff at home it saves a lot of money and the results I think are, are more authentic and and they're they're better because the only person who's you know putting pressure on on you is is yourself there's no time pressure there's no you know not wanting to mess up in in front of a you know engineer or producer it's just you and you know me and Tom in this case trying to do the best that we absolutely can and if we're not feeling it one day you know put it away do it the next day and that's just not something that you can afford to do with studio time that you have paid for. Yeah I think that maybe it was kind of more of a a gentle introduction it sounds very different to I mean I've done a little bit of recording not a lot but the way that we did it was the opposite where it's like because of poor it's just like extreme time pressure yeah <laughs> well you've got to do so many songs per day yeah, and yeah uh you do the solo we don't really have another like time for another yeah. take. So. <laughs> yeah i know and and we like we do so many takes just mm. for the hell of it like we we just do takes so that we can listen back and go you know wait a week and then listen back and go what does that sound like do we want to change it that when we start recording a song we might finish it six months later and what that does is gives us the ability to, in our eyes, you know, perfect something and be really happy with it. If we want to change the guitar solo, we can. We're not stuck with what we did three months ago in a studio when we weren't ready. So I think that's been great for – it's been awesome for me as someone who that's – the salary amount is my first project where I've, you know, we've been professionally kind of recording things for so that we can then release them so I haven't done that before and this has certainly been a gentle um and great introduction to and plus it's COVID-19 so what else are you gonna do (laughs) exactly exactly I'd say a lot of people have bought gear and you know made an attempt at learning how to do it themselves over the last 12 months because what you know it just makes more sense so I'm very glad that we were able to do that over the last 12 months it's been really handy it 
time for the segment, Tell Me a Thing, where I have a list of seven topics and I ask you to choose one and tell us something about it. The topics are musical equipment, recording equipment, poetry, Patti Smith, punk rock, death, and politics. Uh, so, Renee, can you please tell us a thing? I don't know if this is boring, but I have, I don't trust any politicians really it doesn't matter if they're liberal labor or green i lately i just have decided that the in order to get power in any political party you have to trade your ideologies and you have to weaken them so that you appeal to everybody else in power so that you can stay in power and and that's what i don't i don't like about it i think everybody gets to the top and it, we're just, you know, Labor and Liberal, they're just the the um, the lesser of two evils, essentially. I think no one actually really stands for anything um, anymore and I don't know. I don't know how we, how we fix that, but I think me and a lot of other young people are super disillusioned and we don't trust really any politicians around anymore and a lot of us aren't very interested in engaging with politics in general. I um, It kind of sounds like you're descri- almost describing Malcolm Turnbull as someone who like goes in with grand ideas and but then kind of gets eaten up, mm. eaten away by the, the policy of or I guess the the party line. Um, I kind of, I actually read the Obama book mm-hmm. recently and it gave a super interesting insight into how kind of idealistic he was going into his mm. first term. And then it gives you a really interesting insight as to how, like, just constrained mm. he became having to make so many concessions because yeah. if he doesn't concede on this, then the other thing that he yep. needs to do, he needs the support of the person. Yeah. And it's kind of like you're in a spider's web and every time you move a bit, you get more trapped. I agree. And it's kind of like... It's almost like they can't change anything because anybody who comes out with an idea that is strong, which we we used to see things like that. For example, you know, the introduction of Medicare, like that was huge. And look at us now. We're going, thank God for that. I, I do truly feel like there is just so many interests at play in politics that no one can get anything done. There's too many fingers in all these different pies. And it's just, I don't see, I don't know, I don't see any action. They just get up there and kind of talk about, they, they talk the talk, but, you know, there's there's definitely no walking the walk anymore. And some people would argue that there never has been, but introducing things like, you know, Medicare and, and stuff like that, which has had a really, really positive impact when you compare it to other developed countries like the US who don't have that and you see how quickly people for example can slip into homelessness so I do like Australia I do like this country but right now I just I can't stand any politicians because they just it's not the nature of how it works is you you truly have to let some things go in order to win others you you cannot be like ideologically pure as a politician and that's why I think so many of them get in there as you said and they they want to change things 
but their own party will bloody throw them out if mm. you know it's like the, there's one way you can either have no power and be pure in your your ideas and, and your ideologies or you can have all the power and do nothing that's the way i view it <laughs> so what do we do in a modern democracy to overcome that i don't have a solution i don't have one either <laughs> look you know all i'm gonna say is we're lucky that we live in a democracy as opposed to some other questionable political systems in in other countries so look i'm not it's all right i just don't understand how people i don't know how young people could like any politicians if they're out there and they're they're listening um i'll have a conversation with you but i just can't i yeah i just view them all as the lesser of two, three, four evils. I'm just like, who do I hate less, to be honest with you? Um, I usually try to end the podcast on a positive note, but I'm not sure how <laughs> I'm going to salvage that. I think that we just agree that everything sucks. Yeah. We look, agree to that? It. Yeah, we're still lucky to be in Australia, though. Like, I mean, if we want to end it on a positive note, they've certainly bungled, you know, our, our vaccine rollout, but, uh, you know, we, we were living life relatively normally up until this hit, and I am grateful for that. My sister in London, is, you know, was in lockdown for like a year or something ridiculous like that, so it could it could actually be worse. We've had some of the least deaths of anywhere in the world, so that that's a positive note. It could be, it could be worse, and that is something I have been trying well, to remind myself. Well, Renee, I hope we get to see salarymen on a stage yeah. nearby in the near future. I hope so too. <laughs> um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was really uh, lovely to have a chat to you today. Thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Rock is proudly produced in the Sydney studios of Do As We Are 107.0.